What's up, Fire Tribe? Welcome to Rising, Rising. from the Ashes. From the Ashes. From the Ashes. Nice, nice. Screw that electrolysis. That is one of the the main principles that I sort of explain is is how you can have um, levitation as well with um, you know, the, the planets is is via this large charge buildup. So I threw the idea of um, procession of the equinoxes to the wayside, and I'm like, okay, let's let's think. If that is a lie, put it aside for a second. Let's have a think about it and go, well, what would it be otherwise? What would it be otherwise? Positive terminal. The moon is a negative terminal. So when I was um, doing this research and applying the battery and things like that, um, it's just like coming up with, coming up across Mercury, um, constantly because what I would do is actually look at an old schematic of um, you know they usually have it as the primer materia then it splits into fixed and volatile then it'll split into the four elements and um, then it will have the salt mercury and sulfur and when I was looking at the so I explained earlier that you can break uh, the galvanic cell into four components and that's how I initially um, found it really was like, well, you have four components, which is the, the anode, the cathode, the, the electrolyte, which is the water, and the, the salt bridge, which is the earth. So you've got earth, water, fire, and air. tribe what's going on how are you hope you're good hope you're great hope you're grand hope you're swell hope you're wonderful we're here we've made it we made it through three minutes and three seconds of some sweet beats to get ready into this transition today we are talking to elsie king a friend a good guy an amazing guy a researcher, um, an Australian researcher who has an amazing accent and even cooler cosmology and cosmological beliefs. If you are um, hip to the weaving spiders, welcome. Uh, he associates himself with those shenanigans over on that YouTube channel, as do I. I've been over there, and they're good guys, and so... Um, Today we're, we thought it we thought it necessary to chat with LC about his cosmological understanding and his electrical understanding. He has really cool theories um, and research 
in on the earth battery system and we're going to get into that today so you know we're talking about paranormals and uh, paranormal experiences ufology and all of these things all of these beautiful things in correspondence with one another um, and the electrical correspondence to what we might be experiencing when we have sleep paralysis or we experience ghost or ufos you know if if there's an association with um these different energetic hotspots so today you know we are going uh going into uh some of the more technical side of things and so we can get a broader understanding of of electricity and and how it might work in our atmosphere and then you know after this we're going to go into say some sacred sites or ley lines and um dowsing and things so you see where the flow is happening if you're following the show which you are because you're listening now and i love you for that dan loves you as well we all love you and you love you or else i hope you do because that's the best thing on the planet is when you can fully love yourself and fully dive in to what it means to be an amazing exister on the planet times are always changing and change is a constant and feeling emotions and going through the motions of emotions the motions of the emotional ocean boy oh boy that is the good work and we're doing it all here together so without further ado my friends i want to tell you about visionswitch.space clairvoyance and psychic work with our friend sabaya sogard who has been on the show before she's an amazing friend and a clairvoyant worker and i really honestly suggest you guys get some get some psychic and clairvoyant work clairvoyant work with her um, she's offering a discount to any of the Fire Tribe friends, and you can get um, some past life readings, some psychic hygiene, something else she likes to call it, and I love it. Um, I get weekly sessions, and every time I, it just, it's expounding. It's amazing. So, um, would love it if you guys do it too, and if you do do it, make sure to let her know that you are from Rising from the Ashes. Uh, friend group listener group and then maybe email us to just be like yo sabaya is awesome like leave like leave me a review let me know how you like her because she's a really good friend and anybody i've sent her to has had really great um correspondence with her so if that's your thing um try it out with her if you already have a psychic worker you know what i mean maybe maybe get a different perspective with our friend if you've never had any of that work done well that's even more of a reason to try it out it's not expensive it's affordable and it's really cool (laughs) it's cool to kind of know what somebody who dips their toes into that magical realm what they pull off of your energy to see what's happening and see what's going on so Get down with it, and you get a discount, so ain't nothing wrong with it. Am I right? Yes. Join us on Telegram. Telegram is a group messaging platform, and you've heard me talk about it here before. 
Join the group. Join the conversation. Why? Mm, I don't know. So we can dig up the mysteries of history and figure out what's really going on here? (laughs) Yes, that's why. And if you want to support Dan and I and support the show to keep going, make sure to join us over on Patreon. Just dropped a brand new fresh episode the other day with Juan from One on One Podcast and Thomas, Paranoid American, a comic book creator and researcher, also a Freemason. Uh-oh. It was a great episode. Uh, that's up. Doing another one here soon. So that's a really good way. It's three bucks a month. You can support the show. You know how it goes. Uh it's awesome. We love it. Love all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you guys seriously, tremendously, tremendously. And without further ado, I'm going to read a little bit for the RFTA news. We're going to get back with Adam here soon uh, and some of our other RFTA news guests. But I'm reading today. I want to read to you and I want to put some soft pad sounds behind it so you can ease into the words. R-F-T-A News. I am going to read out of a book from David Fideller, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is a hermetic and alchemical text And it is S-U-N of God. That's Jesus Christ's son, S-U-N of God. I found it appropriate to read this title. Because LC has actually sent me this book months ago. And he said it's one of his favorites and how he gets a lot of his... um, a lot of insight from this from this author, David Fideller, so I felt it appropriate to read it today. I'm going to read a chapter out of here that covers the sun and it covers Mercury, which we get into in this conversation. So here we are. This is page 244 out of the book, starting with the chapter Helios, the image of one. History books are silent on the ultimate origin of the astrological symbol of the sun, a circle with a dot in the middle. As the preeminent celestial body and leader of the cosmic dance, the figure is elegantly appropriate, a symbol of cosmic wholeness and unity. In the words of a famous hermetic saying, God is a sphere whose circumference is nowhere but whose center is everywhere. In ancient Egypt, the circle with the dot was a symbol of the sun, god of Ra. Each of the 28 divisions of the Egyptian royal cubit was consecrated to a particular divinity, and appropriately enough, the first division of the cubit, the number one, bears the symbol of the circle with the dot. The symbol of the sun also appears on a Greek coin minted at Delphi. On one side of the coin appears representations of Apollo's tripod, the other side representing the umphalos simply displays the abstract symbol of the circle and the dot. The earliest form of the Greek letter theta was simply the circle with the dot. 
According to ancient sources, the letters of the alphabet were revealed to humanity by a god or godlike being, and by Gematria, the value of the Greek word theta is 318, also the number of Helios, the sun. According to Neoplatonists, the ultimate source of the cosmos is a transcendental unity, simply called the One, and the physical sun is its natural emblem in the created order. More precisely, the sun is a living image of the One on a lower level of being, and the gematria of Helios is 318 indicates the sun's relationship to a higher principle of unity. That is because a circle with the circumference of unity possesses the diameter of 318. Helios, the offspring of the One. The Neoplatonists maintained that Helios, the Sun, is the lower image of the transcendental absolute, or the One. The One, or principle of unity, may be represented by numbers 1, 10, 100, and etc. If it is represented by the number 1000, then a circle with that circumference is discovered to have a value of 318. Helios, the Greek name of the sun. Plutarch, a priest of Apollo at Delphi, wrote that Apollo represented the one, for Apollyon in ancient Greek means literally not many. Likewise, Plutarch maintained that Helios, the sun, was merely Apollo's offering. As he notes in one of his Delphic essays, many among the earlier generations mistakenly regarded Apollo and the sun as one of the same, God. But those who correctly understood and respected fair and wise analogy conjectured that as body is to soul, vision to intellect, and the light to truth, so is the power of the sun to the nature of Apollo. And they would make it appear that the sun is his offering, offspring and progeny, being forever born of him that is forever. Hermes, the Logos. The Greeks referred to Hermes as the Logos as he was the god of language and speech. As a personification, and natural harmony, Hermes invented the Greek lyre, which he gave to his older brother Apollo. Apollo in turn gave the caduceus, another symbol of harmony, to Hermes. Hermes is the god of pathways and roads, travel, writing, and commerce. Hence the name of his Latin counterpart, Mercurius, means literally pertaining to merchandise. For the Greeks, Hermes was a psychopompos, the guide of souls. He was also the Logos seen in a cosmological sense. According to the Gnostic sect of the Nicenes, Hermes is the word who has expressed and fashioned the things that have been, that are, and that will be. According to Menetheo, an Egyptian priest of Ra from Heliopolis, Hermes was the author of three 36,525 books. Since the solar year is 365.2 days in length, if Hermes had written one book each day, then he would have completed the task in a century.
one is reminded here of the conclusion of the fourth gospel in reference to the innumerable deeds of other logos. But there were also many other things which Jesus did where every one were to be written. I suppose that if the cosmos itself could not contain the books that would be written, Hermes was identified with the Egyptian deity Thoth, the scribe of the gods. As the Egyptologist E.A. Wallace Budge points out, Thoth was the heart and tongue of the sun god Ra, the reason, logos, and mental powers of the god, and also the means by which there will was translated into speech. Thoth spoke the words, which resulted in the creation of the heavens and the earth. And it was his great skill in celestial mathematics which made proper use of the laws upon which the foundation and maintenance of the universe rested. It was also he who directed the motions of the heavenly bodies and their times and seasons without the words of gods whose existence depended on them could not have kept their place among the followers of Ra. According to the analogical reasoning of traditional cosmology in the same way that light exists in relation to the sun, Thoth exists in relation to Ra, and the Logos exist in relation to the transcendent God. The Word of the Sun According to the teachings of Egyptian theology, Thoth, the Logos, is the offspring of the sun god Ra. Similarly, the Corpus Hermeticum, the first, the light word emanated from the divinity, is called the Son of God. The above illustration shows the relationship between Hermes and the Greek Logos and Helios, the Greek name of the Sun. If the circle has been a circumference of 353 units, the value of Hermes, then the perimeter of the box contained within the measure is 318, the numerical value of Helios. With the birth of Christianity, the Logos took on a new personification in the figure of Jesus. This is alluded to in the later infancy gospel of Pseudo-Matthew. According to this account, when Joseph Mary Jesus entered an Egyptian temple in the vicinity of Hermopolis, the city of Hermes, the 365 idols which stood in the temple came crashing down. The story symbolizes the fact that the newborn Jesus was then superseded the earlier personifications of the solar logos in popularity. Hermes, the Good Shepherd. Hermes was depicted in Greek mythology as Psychopomps, the guide of souls, and he was also the good, the god of shepherds, who led their flocks. The artistic representation of Christ and the Good Shepherd was derived from a famous statue of Hermes at Tanagra, carrying a goat, and the name of the Hermetic tractate, entitled Poiman Reis, was widely interpreted as meaning man-shepherd in Greek, as the guide of both material and spiritual nature. Hermes the Logos was the god of roads, pathways, and boundaries, including the byways and boundaries of consciousness. Sacred to him was the path of the way which by Gematria is 352, one unit less than his own name, which amounts to 353. This term was not only an epithet of Christ, as when he says, I am the way in John 14.6, but was also a name of the early Christian movement. 
That is because the knowledge of the logos represents the path between opposites. For it is through the agency of logos that the polarities of creation are reconciled and transcended in a higher unity. In the same way that the logos in a cosmological sense is the leader of the matter, the word or call of the shepherd guides his flocks as the musical harmony of Orpheus unified and led the irrational beast of the field. Likewise, the logo within this comforting voice of the Holy Spirit, which exists at the center of the self, guiding and harmonizing all the parts of the soul. Because man is a microcosm, a reflection of the entire universe, we are not cut off from the order of the universe, but embody it on every level. Therefore, one way to experience the harmony of the Logos is to turn quietly within and attentively listen to the silent voice from the center. Well, that's it, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Much love to you. And we're going to get right into this interview with L.C. King. Enjoy. What's up, Fire Tribe? Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Danny Unaki Dan. Hello, I am the homie Romy. How's it going? Good, man. Nice, nice. Uh, well, uh, I'm excited today. We're taking a little uh, little break in the paranormal play, right? We've been talking a little bit about UFOs, a little bit about people's ghost stories or experiences, if you will. And um, we're getting uh, a little bit deeper into maybe some of the uh, electrical reasons as to why people are seeing things at certain places, spaces and time. And, uh, and yeah, Dan, uh, what's, what's happening on your side of the side of the room over there? A little inside Nothing, joke there. Just chilling. Nice. But, uh, but yeah, man. Uh, yeah, definitely. As looking into UFOs and the paranormal, you start to notice uh, maybe an electrical connection, uh, but also a spirit connection. Like some of it is hard to say that it can be transcribed, uh, transcribed to just energy. Some of it has other implications that, uh, you know, are uh, hard to get around too. So it, it's good to hit everything from all angles and really kind of see all the possibilities. Yeah. And so that's why we have with us today a good friend, L.C. King. L.C. Uh, King is his name on YouTube, and I'm sure it's a, a, a part of a surname, stage name. Do you mind if we call you L.C., or do you want to be called anything else for this duration, sir? Um, that's fine. Uh, you can call me Lucas. That's fine as well. Um, that's my name. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, welcome so to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Welcome Good to, to be here. From the so we're going to talk uh, electrical stuff, I suppose, and the quadrivium, yeah, which is what I've been diving into as well. But um, 
the as for the like that uh ghost stories and spiritual component oh, i'm not very well versed in that sort of thing <laughs> um, you'll have to sort of lead me into to to you know open me up to what what you're on about with that i think uh when, when you explain the nature of uh your cosmology and how the electricity works in it then we can start to understand that we live in maybe a more uh, electric universe and that these electrical charges or these electrical uh, ley lines and whatnot have connections to certain paranormal activity Mm. around the planet and that that is what people are witnessing in the sky is electrical activities not necessarily uh, full-fledged craft and they're having spiritual uh, um, manifestations from these electric uh, charges that are being put off yeah, that's kind of yeah, yeah. a theory you know that, or a hypothesis that's not really well, well that makes a lot of sense to me so my basic model is that we're in an enclosed system um, and then after that what I did was apply um, the, the basic structure of a galvanic cell, which is a battery, mm-hmm. and I applied it to our world. And I was like, oh, well, this sort of fits. You know, you have um, in a galvanic cell, you have basically four components. And you have a, a cathode, an anode, which are your positive and negative terminals on a battery. And then you have an electrolyte, which is salt water. And then you have a salt bridge, which is like a dividing line between the two salt waters. Mm. And I was like, well, okay, this makes a lot of sense to me because um, if I look at the sun as positive anode or positive cathode, sorry, the positive terminal, the moon is a negative terminal, then the oceans as an electrolyte and the earth as that dividing line between oceans. Then all of a sudden I've got, well, this is sort of like an electrical layout here. And once I did that, and then it was just basically a whole rabbit hole you can go down into. But you can also do this correspondence where you say, well, um, you know, we have these sort of positive and negative. We we need to drink um, electrolytes as well. You know, we need salt and we need certain chemicals in our body to produce the energy that we need. And then you can say, well, if the macro is influencing the micro being us, then definitely we would have these sort of changes in biochemistry um, that would you know, either heighten our awareness for certain things or, and and I I think a prime example of that is um, the moon, how much the moon actually affects, um, you know, basically your energy levels. I know, as I said, like on a, when you get a full moon, you're just like, right, let's go, you know, Um, and, and being a farmer, I like to try and plant at certain times um, in regards to the moon and those sort of things. And so when you're seeing it as a negative, um, terminal of a battery and negative not meaning negative in a bad way but just the polar opposite to the sun then you're like well what effects is the moon having in in a comparison to the sun and those sort of things and i think there's um you know there's a great deal we could learn from it you know 
Is that making sense to you guys there? Yeah, for sure. Sorry, my my uh, headphones went out here. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. And that's okay. So I was I was recapping on some of your work today. Uh, you sent me a couple of videos uh, as we started to like cap come into the the funneling part of the day. We're like, okay, we're getting close. You sent me um, your videos on oxygen and and its in its heightened state and its crystalline form mm -hmm. and 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 talking about like that atmospheric dome made of that and mm -hmm. it started to actually make a lot of sense because well it's super fascinating when oxygen gets that really cool temperature and it does start to become crystalline um you know when a star first peers through the sky the first star that you start to see is the stars start to poke mm -hmm. through um you see it change through these like six different colors like that's the twinkling that happens it reminds me a lot of like isaac newton's prism you know yeah. that uh where, where there's a light coming through a crystal and you're having like this 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 prismic effect on the other side this optic optic effect on the other side and so thinking about the atmosphere as having like a denser uh, you know, more crystalline structure like that. Like it literally does create, I mean, you know, a dome, you know, it, it is, it's a dome, it's a crystal dome of sorts. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was really fascinating to me going down that, that, that rabbit hole of, um, of, of oxygen on that, on that other level. So one of the basic premises was like, well, you know, if we're in a closed and closed system, how does, um, a, an enclosed system come about and you're like well you know like a lot of the flat earthers and things will say well there's a dome up there there's there's obviously a boundary kind of a a, um, a pressurized system next to a vacuum without a boundary those sort of things well it was for me it was like well you know this isn't sort of like everything in nature is grown it's it's not it's a um a natural production and, and you say well you know a dome you know, doesn't seem like a natural production. But the, the simple principle of it was really is that what happens when you take away heat from something and, um, you know, you cool down the very air that this, um, the, the sun and moon would be operating in, you know, low pressure system. Well, it turns out that when you cool air to such a degree, it turns into basically, um, solid oxygen and solid oxygen has um, a crystalline structure it also has um, it's really amazing in the way that it actually sort of reflects energy and acts like a reflective shell and the other thing it does is um, it has these properties of levitation um, so that's another sort of rabbit hole we can go down but yeah you're right it was um well, when you're looking at the stars to me they seem more like projections into matter from sort of like an etheric sort of manifestation like uh you like almost like you weren't seeing the projection of light until it hits that sort of physical air starts to actually manifest so and they seem more like a holographic projection than rather than some sort of 
um, physicality. Something really interesting about the stars um, is that they actually never move from each other. You know, that's almost like if you were to paint a heap of stars on a on a picture <laughs> and then move that around, then they're not going to be moving away from each other at all. And so that's really quite different to anything else that we sort of see is that those those stars will, you know, Orion's belt will be, um, you know, it is Orion's belt from years and years and years and years and thousands of years ago, you know what I mean? So um, it's just one of those uh, special things that we can, um, you know, it builds up a whole sort of, you know, like the Zodiac and all that sort of stuff comes along with that sort of understanding or those sort of ideas, you know, of permanency of, of the, the realm of the gods where sort of there is, they're immutable, they don't change. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it's, 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 it's a trip. And like, it's one of these things that seemingly will can almost never truly be understood until we start to come back to that unified sanction that we were talking about earlier the, the full-on unity of understanding to truly bring on the the actual happenings of the cosmos you know <laughs> i mean because it's there there's it's so much subjected understanding uh you know, through the biased, biased optic lens that is the powers that be, unfortunately. Um, well, one of their but, main mottos, right, is like how to divide and conquer, isn't it? It's how, how, how do you actually divide nations or divide people? And you see it constantly nowadays with whatever, you know, agenda after agenda. And it's just like flat out, how do we get these people to, uh, you know, be polarised? And, and that's what it is. It's a polarization. You're either, you know, one side or the other side. You're not going to be, because if you're in unity with yourself, with you're not polarized, then you're able to like look at information rationally. And that was one of the biggest things, you know, with when you start to look at this sort of world schematic and some of the mythology that you're seeing you say well these guys are all about the unity um you know especially if you look at sort of zen buddhism and those sort of things they're about how do i become that uh, immovable sort of um rational sort of being you know what i mean like the this idea of logos it's called you know this unifying factor and from that unity you know um basically um everything else comes from it. So when you're looking at a lot of mythologies, um, especially when you're looking at gods, um, like, you know, your Apollos, Abraxas, and all these different gods, and they have different names. But generally, what the most people put it towards the sun. They say, well, this god is a representation of the sun. Obviously, he's got, you know, 365 encoded in his name or whatever it is. But actually, once you get back into the uh, um, the heart of the mythologies, you actually start to find, oh, this is not necessarily an encoding for the sun, but it is a twin that sits at sort of that pol Polaris, which everything else revolves around. So it's starting to tell the story that um, it is a, 
um, this the pole, the central tree, that that uh, world tree, that axis, that everything moves around is the the story that they were trying to convey because um, it is that axis that is the guide or holds the world together, holds the sun and moon in their rotations. Um, it is the gnomon, the wise man, the um, and it has a lot of affinities or a lot of parallels to us ourselves in that our spine is like the world axis so we are a a micro representation of that macro um so that was long-winded that's no that's funny that you brought brought that up like bringing the pole the polaris and the, the north pole to the spine because one of the things i had in my notes for today was um looking at uh old batteries like um the baghdad battery um and like like old old batteries on like the, the original batteries being stacked coins right yep i was like oh shit that's that's the spine that's a spine yeah you know like a, our spine is literally a, it's it's a version of a battery i mean you couldn't be closer together than you know separating disc between little things of cartilage to shoot up and down energy at your north and south pole of the body you know, and we know that we yeah, have yeah, an yeah. electromagnetic field and everything. So I, I tried to find some good juice on that to bring up, but I couldn't, I did find some, you know, I found the correlations in fact, but the only thing I found was like this new technology that's coming out that they're saying they emanated from the human spine. It's like wearable technology um, or like all of the new, the wearable electronics, they say they're like, yeah, scientists found that making the battery more like a human's uh, spine allows wearable technology to be more, you know, so on and so <laughs> forth. So, um, but it's it's super interesting too because, you know, even like sacred architecture in, in ancient India, you know, they were literally emanating their buildings off of the body of the deity. Like it was hand hand for hand the which the the cathedrals later were knocked off of like you know it being a cross on the ground and the cross being an emanation of the human body shape but um and in the east they were doing like the usually like a like the god sitting up and down and that's why you have like those those bulbous shapes like they would be like a headdress that's on there and, and anyways that just made me think about um because you know in like antiquitech type of talk the these buildings this resonance architecture what have you has this electricalness to it and it almost emanates its own frequency field and when you know talk just talking about the spine and energy and talking about you know this electric universe model thinking about our ancient ancestors that understood more of these concepts and maybe we're practicing these concepts in with their architecture and um you know if they're if they were building their temples as a as their god sitting in a cross-legged position up and down like this meditating yep. almost you know then that spine would go up through the top of their crown and then out through the building would be this uh would be the the literal force field of that of that building the yeah, yeah, yeah. field so it's i think it's all connected like that man well, what I've been finding is that these uh, representations of, of the gods um, has a direct link to what's known as basically the Omphalos stone. 
Um, the, it's like the navel of the world. Now, this Omphala stone uh, had a net over it, had a few different things, and you'll usually see Apollo sitting on top of it with a harp or something like that, showing that it's musical. Um, now, what I've found is that if you create a flower of life, you actually start to create um, and start connecting the lines in there. You'll actually start creating a cube. And from that cube, then there are all these sort of certain geometries that um, come from it. Now, it's not just one cube. It's actually like a Rubik's cube where it's actually three cubes. So it's really interesting that it's it's sort of like there's a hidden cube within the larger cube and it's like this nesting dolls type uh, idea that's coming from it. And out of those ratios, out of those cubic different cubes, you're actually starting to pull different numbers. And one of the, the main numbers that comes out of it is a number 37, interestingly enough. Um, now, when you look at the number 37 and you say, um, you, you look at the times tables of it, you'll actually get these repeating digits um, like 333444555, all the way up to 999. So it has this sort of peculiarity where it's, it's showing this idea of uh, the triplicity, the trinity within it. But what I, what I also found was that this 37 was used as a sort of like a prime uh, underpinning harmonic number that you could, um, that would m move through multiple measurement systems. So it's, it's generally my view that um, the architecture back then um, had multiple measurement systems, but they all interlinked. Now, the reason that they interlinked is because they're based off a certain harmony, a certain sort of bunch of principles that when you use these measurement systems in conjunction with each other, you're not stepping out of the harmonic bounds. So if you were going to de design a, a special room that has sound, certain sound qualities, then you're going to want to have those and you want those certain frequencies to be more prominent, then you're going to design it in such a way where there's the wavelengths of the sounds that are being moved around in there are actually congruent. You know what I mean? They're not actually um, knocking each other out. And so you're amplifying a harmonious type environment. So I think that's what they were doing and you had multiple measurement systems so that you, it was easier. What you could do is say, well, this I want to design a rectangle room and I want it to be 37 foot long, um, but I want it to be rectangle. I don't want it to be square. So I don't want to use foot for the next one, for the next side. I would rather transfer it down into some other um measurement system and say well that's going to be 37 um what meters or something like that you know and so it turns into a rectangle but you still got the underlying 37 as the principal layout so I, I just i think that's how they were approaching some at least some of their design and it really seems to be all based off um, this flower of life and the numbers that um, present themselves out of it. Um, another really special number that comes out is um, the number 27. 
Um, a lot of names when you learn, use the English um, gematria or the septenary cipher, um, a lot of the names for this particular sort of um, hermaphroditic god, which is basically an emblem of the masculine and feminine coming together, um, is related to 27 as well. So the idea is basically they're replicating, um, you know, the energies of the world, you know, this, this things that make us harmonious. And that's what I was getting at before, where you don't want to be polarized. You, you want to have your masculine and feminine energies in balance, you know, because that's where the most energy really is. If you have a, a battery that has got a crappy terminal, you don't have a lot of energy there and you're easily sort of do you know what I mean? Like if you've got a, a crappy an, um, anode, your battery is not going to be flowing very well. You're not going to get enough charge from it. But if you're bringing your energies back into sort of this balance, well, the connections, the communication between the masculine and the feminine, the, these inward and outward principles are now really sort of um, on fire. And so by limiting us by actually, you know, getting populations to be polarized is actually lessening their energy and um, they, they play off that. So I just, the world system that seemed to be around beforehand was directed not at trying to polarize people, but it's quite the opposite. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> Dan, you gonna say something, my brother? I was gonna say, so, so, is the opposite of trying to uh, uh, of the polarization to like enrage people? Um, it only really seems to enrage people when when they basically. This is the way I see it: is that when you become really polarized, uh, what you're doing is actually becoming ignorant of the other side. <laughs> Uh, so you're basically becoming lopsided in your information. And so when certain people get polarized to one way, they can't understand and the information of, of the other, other side. And so the other side of the people that are polarized the opposite way can't understand the, how these other people would think. And both of them are kind of wrong because they're both ignorant of each other's side do you know what i mean then there's no sort of middle ground to start to say well maybe i was a bit extreme on this side and maybe i was a bit extreme on that side so you can see that there's the groups form that are highly polarized on each side and they really don't understand the nature of the other side and so there's an a lot of energy built up <laughs> and when they start to come together and and react to the the subject matter of the other one. They just they lose it. You know what I mean? You get a, a violent reaction. The energy sort of explodes out of them, and they become violent. You know, um, because they they can't process. They're polarized. They can't process. Is that, am I making that clear? Yeah, and I like to think about it. Like, what would happen? Uh, maybe you can explain. Like, quite literally, in a battery, if that were to be the case. Well, it's it's almost like um, what what it is. It's more like 
not necessarily a battery, but um, a capacitor. And when you have a capacitor is holding charge on each side, but doesn't really allow it to, to transfer over. And when it does, it jumps, boom. And that's what you get when you, basically that's what lightning is. You've got lightnings moving across the, the surf, like the, the, um, the clouds are moving across the, the surface of the earth. And then there's a charge buildup, a differential. And then all of a sudden, when there's enough uh, potential to overcome the, the resistance of the air, it just jumps across. And same with the spark gap, you know. And so when you have these polarised people come together, <laughs> same sort of principle happens. And, and, and it really it comes down to this is like a negative way of dealing with um, or it's like the Hegelian dialectic, essentially. Um, uh, and then what they do is they basically go, yeah. well, um, let's set these two people up to be polarised and then, boom, when they explode, we'll dictate the outcome. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really interesting in that sort of energetic sort of uh, um, seeing it in that energetic, energetic way, you know. literally like a boxing match you know <laughs> just because everybody's yeah. you know it's just like one side one side just and then there's that central mat right in the middle uh what so static is interesting too right um what's mm -hmm. like in the atmosphere that that building up what, what how is that explained uh on like a compository level like what's the chemical constituents of of, of static in this in this kind of model um static's like a, a, an interesting one it's sort of well you're just polarizing something again um usually you do it with aluminium foil or something like that and you're, you're rubbing a bit of pvc pipe and you can get them to float around and that is one of the the main principles that i sort of explain is is how you can have um levitation as well with um you know the the planets is is via this large charge buildup, but um, yeah, so it, it's really just a component of of voltage and and current and and there. When you say voltage, I, it does get a little confusing because in some ways it, the, some of the terminology isn't actually adequate. Um, but voltage is basically the the differential between like i was saying there's um you know between the the clouds and the earth and then the lightning so there's point to point is voltage so the 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 higher the differential and it's a little bit like a waterfall a way to extra, to describe it is you can have a really high waterfall but you might not have very much um water going over the top of it and so the the point to point from the top of the waterfall to the floor where it's it's falling down is um is voltage that point to point but current is how much water is flowing through so if there's not a lot of current then all that water there won't be very much water flowing down over the waterfall and down so it doesn't really make any difference and you're going to have a light shower underneath it but if there's a lot of current, that means there's a lot of water and you'll stand underneath it and get pulverized. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it, 
this is the same thing as when we're dealing with with our world is that in in a lot of ways like the the wider scheme of things there is only um a small amount of current there's a there's a high drop there's a high amount of um potential but there's only a small amount of current and then the higher you go up the increase in those potentials and increase in the current and so that's why we sort of you know don't zap each other when we <laughs> shake hands or you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah it's true. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but if you're getting back to your sort of ideas of, um, you know, spiritual sort of things, there may be places mm-hmm. where there is more of those voltage changes, more of those yes. places. And it could yeah. could have something more to do with how um, in, in a salt bridge, in that part that sort of separates the two electrolytes, there is a movement of ions through it. Um, And it basically acts, the earth acts like a capacitor in that sense. And so you have, you need water flowing through it and that would be aquifers. Mm -hmm. Then you can have your molten salts, which would be more like your magma. um, Or cinnabar, right? Melt that shit down and get the mercury. Yeah, yeah. But there's, um, and so there, there seems to be this correlation between the way the water moves through the earth and that electrical charge as well, especially salt waters, because that's able to be, you know, carry charge with it. So, yeah, I tried to tie it back to, uh, <laughs> for you. well, that's, that's, I mean, I wanted to ask you, um, if you uh, get down or like, like tying some of the mythologies in with Mercury and it being such an important piece of, uh, you know, theology, and then also being an important part in, you know, in the daily um, lives of, of science, you know, and, and it playing such a heavy uh, and unique role um, as a chemical. And like, you know, you see these videos online of like liquid mercury spinning in that complete circle around a magnet mm-hmm. and everything. And so talking about the pole star, talking about like some central <clears throat> thing, you know, you might, you can almost visualize that would how some solar system would be moving if we were just all revolving around the single magnetic pole. Um, and so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just wondering about your your take on on Mercury and and, and that role in that, and and what do you think? Uh, it's it is it's so role outside was, of the atmosphere is. So when I was um, doing this research and applying the battery and things like that, I was just like coming up with coming up across Mercury um, constantly, because what I would do was actually look at an old schematic of, um, you know, they usually have it as the primer materia, then it splits into fixed and volatile, then it'll split into the four elements and, um, then it will have the salt, mercury and sulfur. And when I was looking at the, so I explained earlier that you can break, uh, the galvanic cell into four components. And that's how I initially um, found it really was like, well, you have four components, which is the, the anode, the cathode, the, the electrolyte, which is the water and the, the salt bridge, which is the earth. So you've got earth, water, fire, and air. 
And so I was like, oh, that, that makes perfect sense that now we have a battery corresponds to the four elements. Now, it wasn't just the four elements that are in play. There's actually um, sulfur, salt, and mercury. Now, the sulfur and the, the salt, the sulfates and the salts, actually are in the electrolyte. So you need the sulfur and you need the sulfates in the electrolyte to create charge. And this is why you can stick, um, you know, well, that's, that's just how, how you have to create it. There is no other way to create the battery without the sulfates, acids, and the salts. Because And so and then I was like, well, where's the mercury? What's the mercury? And so I was like constantly questioning, well, is it the metal that they're talking about or is it the electrolyte they're talking about? When you break the word down, it actually myrrh and curry. It means um, it's water and mixture. So is it describing an electrolyte? Now, if you put this into context of the body, and like you were saying, our spine's a battery or it has a, um, is a voltaic pile, um, and you're looking at the spinal cerebral fluid, is what? So it's salt water. Uh, and that electrochemical reaction creates enough voltage um, and current in our body to create movement because they know it is an electrochemical process that, that, that creates it. So is mercury uh, the, the fluid? And yes, is mercury the metal? Yes. It's more than just a singular thing. It, it, it basically comes down to understanding conceptual ideas of where you would place these um, you know, what role do they play? What role does Mercury play? It is communication. Ultimately, it is a communication between um, one side to the other. It is, it communicates between the polarities. Okay, so that's essentially its role. So that's exactly what we're finding when you're looking at the electrolyte in the body. It's communication it's water in the body will be communication. Salt water will be communication. Um, the same thing when you have um, the sun moving over the oceans, it's lifting up, uh, creating these elemental constituencies that are via evaporation, via distillation. It's, it's refining these products and you're creating basically nitric acid, hydrochloric acid, and you're creating an electrolyte in a gaseous form that allows for the anode and cathode to communicate. It's an ionic bridge, basically. So, and that was a big part of the model is like, well, you can say that the, the moon's the anode and the sun's a cathode, but if they aren't connected, how are they communicating? And so there had to be a, a way of communicating. And it is quite easy. It's all based on the salts of the ocean being lifted up. It's, it's really quite simple. But, um, and, and that's what you're seeing. You're seeing mercury as this idea of a communication between the positive and negative. And you'll see this a lot in, um, what, what do you see it in? You see it in the, the um, Masonic drawing boards. 
right? You'll have the sun as a pillar. You'll have the moon as a pillar. Then you'll have the stairway or some other third pillar, um, and that will have the eye of providence, the mercurial central post that is neither masculine or feminine because it sits between the two polarities. It is a mercurial idea that it is hermaphroditic. It is both both sexes, and it is a and you know the caduceus again is a, a pole with you got the two snakes, which is positive and negative. They are like yeah, um, in the eastern sort of stuff. It's the um, two energies up the spine, right? Um, it is analogous mm-hmm. to the spine. Yeah, um, he is yeah like the god of boundaries so again he's setting the boundary because he's setting the communication he's setting where the elect the energy can flow um so all these different concepts about mercury itself regardless of the metal um you're you're seeing the the concepts that are all there and and when you're dealing on a, a, a sort of a micro level as well what you're dealing with is um trade because money we don't really really use real money at the at the moment but money um in general gold and silver sun and moon is um is part of mercury is his uh is means of of us communicating in a physical manner isn't it it's basically how do we transfer goods to each other uh how do we communicate with each other in that what we need so this conceptual idea of mercury exists once you see it it really exists everywhere it's like a um, i've described it like like the trinity in a sense he is a basically the product of the trinity and the trinity itself but um once you see it, it actually is in everything. It can, and it's really difficult to not see it after a while. Um, so he's also the god of geometry, measure, and it's because once you get into that flower of life, where he sits in the central domain, um, what he represents, communication, um, and the masculine, feminine coming together, um then it, it's no the whole story and every other thing is a representation of him and the zodiac is a prime example of that is that each one of those zodiac signs is really mercury in a different phase is an avatar of mercury so I, I thought you know previously that the zodiac was like all these different elements and uh, you know, but it's it's not really. They're telling the same story about that serential character that is um, representation of of logos. Essentially, if you want to put it into one word, it's logos, and logos represents like a unity and an intelligence, a universal intelligence, if you like those sort of things. So. Um, it is encoded in so many different ways um, and, you know, has a lot to do with the number seven. Like I said, it has a lot to do with number 27. Um, this triplicity, whenever you see a trinity, then you're dealing with mercury. Um, 
so it, it's constantly there in in so many different ways um the other one is if you want to look at it in the metal type um more physicality it is a really really interesting metal and i highly recommend people check it out just just to see why it's so weird you know what i mean it's uh it's you know it's pretty much the only liquid uh, metal uh, i think there might be one other at, at room temperature but the the one of the main things it does is it is able to amalgamate and um, this is one of the the special qualities of it is that it's able to you take some gold leaf and you have a little bit of mercury there the gold leaf will get pulled into that um into that mercury and you just keep putting it in and it's just like it just uh it just it soaks it up and this isn't some sort of it's it's not even regarded as a chemical reaction as such but it's and that they use it in sort of gold mining and those sort of things where you're actually able to uh the the gold will adhere to the mercury then you burn off the mercury at a at a temperature and you're left with the gold now you can actually um they have done experiments where they've actually transmitted mutated um mercury into gold so this is via high voltage um and the other thing is you can actually grow silver crystals on mercury in a nitrate solution in the dark so it what it actually seems to be saying is that um you're able to with this um, element it is like a part of the cosmogenesis of our world in that if we're in a closed system and, uh, and the, um, the, the planets or the, the sun and the moon are the same size and all that sort of thing, then Mercury seems to be involved in how it actually, uh, how it manifested in that it's able to amalgamate and all those sort of things. Interestingly, you're like, well, how does it get there? And it's via volcanoes. So um, a lot of it's through the, and that's where a lot of gold and that as well, sulfur, sulfates and mercury all get pumped up into the atmosphere in huge amounts each year. So. Uh, that, that reminds me of an interesting story. My, my girlfriend told me to read this book, 1177 BC. And in the book, he talked about how Egypt um, because they were like a big trader of gold i think it was egypt the, the pharaoh somebody else wanted gold and they wanted like a caravan to get to uh to get over to them and they were sending them gold and uh when when they put the gold at high temperatures uh it basically was the properties weren't typical of gold uh something i forget exactly what something was happening that was wrong and they were going back to him and saying like what where what is this gold that you gave us it doesn't have any of the normal properties that gold has like where, where are you getting this from and it almost seems like maybe he was creating a fake type of gold do you think it, uh but you're talking about turning the mercury into gold would it would it have the same properties of gold if it was being turned into a gold no, I, su I suspect it would. Um, 
Yeah, but to fake it like that, I suppose you could use multiple different things. It would, but um, yeah, gold. Yeah, I I suspect it would have the same properties because you're sort of moving it across elementally across to something um, possibly even lighter. Actually, I think when I got mercury is actually one of the heaviest um, metals there is. So like uh, when you add, cause gold's not naturally magnetic, but you have to like find it in a, either in an impure, like pure gold is not magnetic. So uh, you can make mm-hmm. it magnetic by adding just like maybe a little bit of the mercury into it. Um, and then allowing it to have those magnetic qualities or, or another visual I kind of got when, when, you know, you're explaining it, eating the gold leaf is, you know, mm. if if the earth is acting as like the mercurial solution in the battery in this, you know, in in this cosmology, then like then it's just like in the sun is like emanating this gold, you know, it's just eating and absorbing the gold. Um, mm. if, if that's the case, what 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 happens with that residual energy? And is it just get dispersed within the atmosphere? Or is it like shoot off <laughs> anywhere else? Well, it's funny you, you say that because it's like there's like huge amounts of gold ions in the oceans. Mm. Oh. And they they try and I don't think they have a good way of actually collecting it. Otherwise, they'd mine it. But there's like supposedly like <laughs> literally tons and tons of gold. So in, that, does in it turn into monatomic gold then? Is that what happens with the just like some extra distillation or something? I don't know. That's a trip. I don't know. I don't know about. I'm not very versed in monatomic gold. Like that's something a little bit different, isn't it? Or is it like? I I think I it's from my understanding of like of, of monatomic gold is that it's food it's for thought. What's that? It's food for thought. Food for thought. Yeah. Food for thought. Yeah. <laughs> Is that that like it's been uh, amalgamated in some and like and broken down to such a such a size that it's able to be like absorbed um, like cellularly through the skin. Um, so like it's yeah, like it's really interesting. Uh, but I, I, I yeah, like I said, I think. Wait, no, I didn't say that. I was thinking it uh, like I was just thinking that it uh, <laughs> is created through some sort of like excess energy or, you know, like the, the wash off, uh, like, I, I just don't know where the monatomic gold is coming from. I just know it's, it's plentiful and I'm curious to see its origins, you know, where, where it is, uh, being formed. And if it's only like a certain amount that is within the oceans, I'll actually do some quick. Let me see here. You might have to look it up. Gold in the oceans. I haven't done it for ages, but um, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. It's almost like a, a alchemic reaction is happening happening with the salt water, the sun, and the moon. Mm. Uh, if if the energy is focused in an area, maybe it can produce some type of uh, gold or whatever. Yeah, and and very I, I think, small particles i think a lot of it's to do with uh, I, I don't think we understand the um periodic table and the elements as much as we claim we do mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. one 
Uh, there's so many things that it's like, what is that? Are you sure about that? But um, when you're looking at the earth itself as like a manufacturing plant, um, it's really interesting because you can see a magma as what's called a molten salt bridge. So when I was looking at different types of batteries, you have a, um, a flow battery, which is two electrolytes, and they just basically um, have one little boundary between them and they'll, so it's a very simple, two different electrolytes will create voltage. Um, then you have a thermogalvanic battery. And this one's a difference between a hot and cold. So the anode or, or the cathode will be hot. The anode will be cold. And then all of a sudden you're going to get an electrical transference between them. And so it's not just one battery sort of operating in this sort of thing. But when you're looking at um, this, the, the alchemical sort of version of it, what you're looking at is distillation. Honestly, it's, it's, it's very exactly what they were sort of a lot of these books were writing about. They're looking at how we're dealing with elements, what we're going to deal with it through distillation, um, plant matter, whatever. And they had a whole science built up of, of what we call this sort of thing. And it's really taking that macro version of understanding and putting it to a smaller micro version. So as the sun moves over the oceans, it heats that the ocean ocean so it's basically the same as you would have your flask and you have your fire under the flask and you're heating it up and then you basically got the anode or the moon is acting as the condenser and it's a cooler side it's refining out and dropping out the water you know what i mean it's like we don't need that we only want the alcohol or the um, you know, the mercury side of things, the most volatile stuff moving up to the top. That's the first to get burnt off. And so you can see that there's a, uh, a thing where it's basically the sun and moon are sort of feeding off each other to create the things that they need, um, the electrolytes that they need for the process to continue. And it's really the moon gives energy to the sun the sun then gives energy to the waters the waters then lift up and create and the sun as it's moving creates all this uh the airflow um and also what's really fascinating is that when the the waters get heated up they expand uh the oceanic waters when they get heated up they expand and what that does is it allows more salts to come in so it, as the sun moves over the oceans, it's, um, it's lifting the salts up and creating this cyclic effect under the oceans as well. So there's just so much sort of um, stuff going on at the same time. But in general, it's just one big uh, world distillation process, which I think is just fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, what what do you what do you think that the moon is? Uh, I think it's metal. Um, and that's uh, yeah. So that's why I was saying sort of um, Mercury and all that sort of um, play a role in it. But it's also this idea of uh, electrolysis. As soon as you've got energy moving, 
um, like in a galvanic process where you're going to have a form of electrolysis happening as well. Electrolysis um, is used in modern day to refine metals. And the reason I say metals, um, and it's sort of, you know, it's, it's not very popular um, amongst flat earthers, that's for sure, for me to when I say that, but it is what it is because all the qualities of metals, the metals have certain qualities, but, you know, you really can't create a light bulb without metal. You can't create all these um, certain properties without metal. And it's very easy to see how it can refine itself in the atmosphere as well. It's just um, just through that electrolysis um, process, even if mercury wasn't involved. But um, so when you're looking at the metals, and this is another thing that I, I got when I was looking at, because I initially wasn't really looking for a world... Um, we're not really looking for a, a, like a world schematic. What I was looking to do was understand the Zodiac. That was my main intent. And um, mm-hmm. when I was looking at the Zodiac, I'm like, well, what is this thing? You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, um, I get all the, you know, the sort of like, you know, your birth charts and all that sort of stuff. I was like, well, yeah, but there's got to be something more to it than that. And, you know, I, I finally was... Uh, Ask the right question basically. I said, Well, why are the planets metals? I mean, that just doesn't, it could be anything, you know, you could, you could make them anything you wanted. You can make them different types of rocks or minerals or whatever. Why are they metals? And so, because in the zodiac, you'll have, you know, the sun is gold, moon is silver, um, you know, Jupiter's tin, Saturn's lead, all those sort of things, Venus is copper. And there was, and then it was like, Well, okay, it's in the, they've got a correspondence to metals okay so why are they in that order why are you going from lead satin all the way up to gold is there something special about that so what i did was i was like i typed in um in in google i said well you know i looked up different metal lists basically and i was like oh well there it is I found a list and then there was a basic it was said um this is an ion movement from anode to cathode and you had metals in a certain um range so the the most anodic was the the lead and the tin most cathodic was the gold and silver was close behind and all that sort of thing so the order of the metals was based on um what's known as a galvanic series and it's what it really is, is if you have two different metals and you put them in an um, electrolytic solution, a battery, set them up as a battery, where you're going to say which one turns into the negative and which one turns into the positive terminal. That's all it is. Which, ones it, which direction is it going to flow to? And so if you put lead in one end and you put gold in one end, it's going to go to the gold. It's going to go directly to the cathode. And then you say, well, let's put in copper and gold. And we'll say, well, it's going to go from the copper to the gold because the gold is the most noble, most cathodic of the metals. And so that's how you get a a range or put things in order because of how it responds in a battery. And so when I saw that the Zodiac was actually detailing a... (laughs) 
a, a battery process or a, you have to know uh, multiple batteries and how these different metals are going to react in a battery, then I was like, well, what's a galvanic cell? And then I started to move on from that. It wasn't that that was how I sort of got into this, uh, this idea. It wasn't really, um, you know, setting out to do it. I was trying to understand the Zodiac. So yeah. Um, is that cool? Yeah. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> yeah. One of you, I think one of your most uh, recent videos that's on your channel is, um, I didn't get a chance to watch it. I, I wanted to, when I was going through your stuff, but it's how to read the stars. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So does that kind of go into what you just talked about or, um, not, how... but we can talk about it. Yeah. Can we, that'd be cool, man. <laughs> well, one of the things like, it's like a bugbear of these, like, what, you know, um, when you're looking at the, the Zodiac and then you've got the sidereal. So the sun is actually behind that star sign. Right. Um, and then you've got the tropical, and which is the sun isn't in that star sign it's the one after it and so there's there's basically two systems and you're like hold on why is there two systems and why does one say and and, and the the standard reason is precession and because i've been going through this model so long um and really sort of trying to work out the kinks for myself right I was like, uh, I don't think procession exists. You know, I just don't think you know, there's, there's something wrong here, especially when you start looking at the numbers, you go, oh, they're all harmonics. They're all um, built out of this sort of um, thing I was talking about before, you know, and I'm like, how are you supposed to tell? You know, how is anyone, uh, you know, and it just the, the, the extent of the lie in a sense was too big it's like well you can't calculate it you have to be around to see a full cycle you have to be around for twenty five thousand years i'm like well fucking or even just to see a part of it you have to be fucking start when you're three years old and till you're 75 you know just to see that one degree movement of 72 years i'm like seems a bit extreme for me um so i threw the idea of um procession of the equinoxes to the wayside and i'm like okay let's let's think if that is a lie put it aside for a second let's have a think about it and go well what would it be otherwise and what i sort of started to come to the conclusion was it was much more simple than i had thought and really it's it's having the mindset of a farmer <laughs> honestly it's like when do you read the stars and that that's it it's like okay uh you're gonna hop up in the morning as a farmer early in the morning and you're gonna go out and you're going to look at east just before the sunrise and you're gonna see what stars are there and then the sun's gonna rise before that now sidereal you're not going to actually be able to see those star signs whatsoever all right because the sun as soon as the sun comes up you can't see the stars plain and simple you have to be witnessing the stars at night time 
So the best time to see them is not really at midnight because you don't want to stay up all night just to see where you are in the year. All you want to do is hop up early in the morning when the crow calls, which is about an hour before sunrise, and say, well, what's, what's rising before the, the sun? What heralds the sun? You know? And then in, if you want to see it in the afternoon, in the evening, well, you have a look and you say, well, um, what star sign is following the sun? As soon as the sun goes down you can, and the stars pop out, you say, well, what's, what's that star sign there? And you go, well, now I know where I am because I know each side of um, where the sun is. Now, if I was to do that at the equinox, the rising sign would be Aquarius. The sun sign, whether sidereally, would be um, uh, in Pisces. The afternoon sign that would be following the sun as a shepherd is Aries. So there's you're, you've actually got three different types of um, star signs, if you like, or star astrologies. One is sidereal. One is tropical, and the first one I said that you would see in the morning is the older one where it had the, um, and I think it's called the tetragram or some. It's basically got the bull, the man, the eagle, and uh, what, am I, what am I missing? Lion. So it's got those four, and you'll see that that's a really old one. And you'll, if you get up on the equinox, the spring equinox, and you go, well, what's rising? It'll be the man. If you go on the summer solstice and you say, what's rising before the sun? Um, it'll be the bull. And the same with what's rising before the autonomous equinox. It'll be the, um, the lion. And then the eagle, which is Scorpio, will be the, the last one on the winter solstice. So I just found that fascinating that you could actually have three different setups, three different um, uh, ways of viewing the sky. And it sort of led me to this, again, this principle of the Trinity, where once, if you're looking at it in the morning, it's the sort of living sign. It's like the um, sign that pulls the sun. It, it's, the, the the rising sign and then if you're looking at the one that's blotted out which would be the sidereal well that's the dead sign because the sign is no longer there you can't see it it's the only sign out of the whole zodiac that's been blotted out so to me it seemed like it was like being killed right mm-hmm. then you look at the um, sign in the afternoon what's following the sun and you say, well, that one's just about to go get slaughtered. It's about to go. It's about, there's the next one in line to be, to be killed. And so these sort of, you know, ideas of, you know, the, it's, it's interesting if you say that the, the afternoon the, and the one the, the, the sun is actually in are sort of almost dead or about to die then it's two months and then they re-emerge and it's like this it's like showing a cycle of uh like reincarnation in a sense or this animal's 
at its strongest point because it's just been, you know, um, come alive again. And then it goes through its process and then it dies and then it reborn, then it's reborn. And it's something special about that, that zodiac sign when it's reborn. And it's interesting when you put it in this way and you say, well, um, look at cancer, for example, and it's a water critter or, you know, it has this idea to do with water, but when does it die? It dies in summer. So is, is there some way of reading the signs now where now you're looking at it sidereally as that sign's about to, and, and it, you know, the crab dies in summer for two, you, your water goes in summer. And then it comes back and you go, oh, the rains are finally back after that summer period. You know, is it telling us a, um, a different story than what we've been sold in a sense? Anyway, that was just my sort of thing. I was trying to, you know, essentially what I was trying to do is like, how do these things, you know, um, fit together? There's got to be a, there's got to be a reason for these things to be such because you couldn't just throw out one and say, well, you know, um, sidereals. You can't say, well, sidereals bullshit. And you can't say, well, the other one. It's like, no, there's there's a good reason why they exist. So that was my amalgamation of them. <laughs> I, I I like that too. And that's, uh, you know, talking, uh, I think, you know, Kaylee Burkana. Yeah. She's, she's, she's within the circles and... Uh, you know, kind of talking with her about that. That's, that's a, I love that because there is something that's always like, even if you're speaking symbolically or energetically, there's always something on the opposite end that is just being, it's either being killed and then being reborn. And there's, Mm -hmm. that's a big lesson, you know, it's still really important, even if it's not, you know, the the one that's being shined or, or shown i guess you should say right before the sun rises you know if it's it's dead it's like okay well, that's in the still or that's in the crack pot that's cooking and that's going to be mm. the well the delicious you know, new egg you know they encoded in so many movies doesn't it like the superhero movies are a prime example of that process of where like um you know superman or whatever and they 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 have their adversary, the twins, you know, um, and nearly all super superhero characters are Mercury. Once you know what you're looking for, the archetype, then it's there. But they go through the process of the year. Essentially, they'll, uh, you know, have a battle. It'll be an easy battle with their adversary. And then um, they get their ass whooped. At one point in the movie, they're going to basically get... And and a lot of them sometimes like if it's Neo, you know, they die and then they come back, you know what I mean? Like, or it's, and they, some of them will die and then they'll be reborn. And then you go, now they get their power back. Now they get their full, um, you know, <laughs> groove on and they just like go to town on, on the, on the bad guy. And that basically is ex- explaining that winter solstice area where the sun dies and then it resurrects, and then then at the spring equinox, the sun is has longer days over the night, and so it, it's um, like I, I said, I have a bit of a, a bugbear with you know calling this Mercury character the sun, but 
there is correspondence there, no doubt, obviously. Well, but if it, it um, if it if it absorbs gold, right, just eats it and completely absorbs it. You know, whereas mm. I was I was wondering about well, uh, after it gets the gold and then you then you I think you have to hit it with a charge or um, I'm not sure heat it or cool it to extract the gold back out. But how much mm. did is any of the mercury gone through that process? Like, is it is it back 100 percent stable at the same amount of weight in the same amount as before? Uh, well, I would say that, um, oh, it depends how you do it. If you're doing it outside and it's burning off, yeah, but they'd recapture it. So it's not lost. Um, yeah. Cause I'm just thinking about like just a blob, just continuously going around and kind of like, uh, like that Kirby character, <laughs> you know, just yeah, yeah. And it absorbs your powers for a little bit shits you out and then after time it's like after it's out of you you know you're like oh well i'm back to back to my blobby <laughs> self-absorbing things <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it could be like that well it, it is it's it's basically um if you look at the another name for mercury is hydrogyrum right so it's two words which is hydra uh, so this is the endless water snake, you know, or the re regenerating water snake. And gyrum is a circle. So it's the uh, endless water snake or endless serpent eating its own tail. It's the Ouroboros. So it is, it's got that encoding right in its name of, of what it is. So it's... Um, it's the Ouroboros. It's the endless uh, movement because it, it just doesn't sort of go anywhere. <laughs> it's going around and around. A bit like our season, like our system is like an endless loop. It is, you know, and then there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Apparently they named a, uh, I just looked it up, they named a crater on Mercury Kirby. <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, I just... <laughs> I was like, I literally typed in, I was like, is Kirby Mercury? And uh, they're like, NASA says that they named a crater on Mercury Kirby. That's funny. <laughs> Naming craters. I love that. I love that. They're like the, the, the guy that is like his life goal at NASA. You know, he's just, he found a new crater on Mercury and he's like, ha ha, you know, and then he's just like, gets like a head nod at work. He's like, yeah. I did it. I got the badge now. I found it a, a crater. I seen it through my telescope. Yeah. And and why Kirby though? Yeah. That's a good question. Maybe his name was Kirby. <laughs> I don't know. Let's oh, see. It's funny. Some of the articles that come out of NASA just crack me up. They're I know. Laugh, man. They're doing a lot of uh, weird like shots with food. Like that's kind of going around now that people are like, trolling people online like by taking close-up shots of food and telling them it's like cosmic activity on the planet <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love the ones where they're like playing with supposedly in the iss and they're playing with water and it's just like all you're seeing behind them is electronics and you just splash them <laughs> water around you just like you can't be serious can you oh his name for funny. american illustrator jack kirby was in a Comic book artist, writer, widely regarded as one of Medium's major innovators and and one of its most prolific, influential creators. So Jack Kirby got a 
Jack Kirby got a crater named Jack Kirby Crater, Crater Curdy. And there's Jack Curtis, Jacob Kurtzberg. Oh, his real name is Jacob Kurtzberg. Okay. Anyways, strange rabbit hole here. Uh, not to be confused with Jack Kilby. Jack St. Clair Kilby was an American electrical engineer who took part in the realization. Why would it not be confused? Is that that's weird? Jack Kirby disambiguation or Josh Kirby. Sweet Lord. All right. Um, so um, let's, let's, if we're talking about Mercury still, then uh, we're, we're talking about electrolytes as well. But uh, I wanted to talk about this because it's just, it blows my mind every time I think about it. So it's this guy called Renee Quinton. And Ooh. what he did was he's basically um, used ocean water as blood plasma so he was healing people via basically an iv drip of ocean water that's 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 what happened okay i'll I'll read these little little excerpts so you can get out of I know it's crazy, but um, ocean plasma has a long history of clinical use to treat numerous diseases and chronic conditions. Its significance was discovered and evaluated by the French biologist, biochemist, and physiologist, uh, Rene Quinton, 1866 to 1925. In his monumental book, Lear de Mer, Milieu Organic something seawater organic medium quinton established the relationship between seawater and blood plasma demonstrating that human blood and what he called ocean plasma are interchangeable not only do they exhibit near identical mineral composition they both stabilize and support the internal terrain of the mammalian body on one occasion quinton removed the entire volume of blood from a dog and replaced it with ocean plasma after a short recovery the dog dog exhibited more youthful energy than prior to transfusion this experiment was duplicated later in 1969 by delande medical research center in france does that not blow your mind or what yeah, so is that like fourth phase of water? Uh, the plasma from the ocean water? It's got electrolytes in it, right? So maybe it's uh, reinvigorating the system. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, basically, uh, it's swapping out uh, the electrolytes in your body, which is essentially, um, it's like refreshing a battery. <laughs> That's all it's doing because we are mm-hmm. like a battery as well. And I'm just showing that there's a correspondence between uh, the batteries a- in the world and then the in us as well. So that's what the two mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. blood types in a, in a sense, you have one iron, one copper, two different electro- electrolytes. But um, anyway, I just find so that- we no longer have to give blood anymore. Then we can just give ocean water plasma the blood's for, strictly for the vampires yeah, that's, uh, that's all it's going to there's somebody this, this giant vampire underneath a hospital it's just all the excess they just uh, push what it is it for i don't know for i think it's i think it's got nefarious 
fucking stuff going on with that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, sure. that, I, I'm this serious. Yeah, no, they're, they're something with can't that. Can't replace There's a the whole of the blood, blood of a dog, and then and they know about it. He's like, oh no, we'll still pe- use people's blood when we could just use ocean. So were they? Were they stilling it? Were they? Did you did you look into like the process of it? Like how were they oh, getting they the ocean water? Well, yes, I did. He said it was getting it out. It's sort of like a purer place where it was basically um, out to sea a little bit. Where is he from? I don't know, France. I don't know. I'll have to. Oh, he's French. Okay, sorry, sorry. That's right, French. Um, yes. so he was, was going uh, out into the oceans, and I, I think it was like thirty foot down. Or something like that. There was there was some mm-hmm. sort of thing where he was getting it from, but it seems that other people were just getting sort of normal ocean water and the because I watched a documentary and they were drinking it and things like that. But you don't have it as pure salt water and it make you crook. You put um twenty I think it was twenty five percent to seventy five percent just rainwater or something like that, you know. Um especially if you Yes, and the sweet yeah. The sweet water and the and the salt water separate, you know, like them being having their and you think about what we were talking about earlier, but like the distillation through, you know, mm-hmm. the condensation and, and that that entire process, precipitation, <laughs> condensation and precipitation. How long did the dogs survive and, uh, afterwards? Oh, it's probably still alive, I think. No, I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah, the thing. I think I, I've heard a story before where they did some type of uh, transplant uh, into human, but then the human only lasts like another three days and they died. Uh, but I don't so, think yeah, it's... If you're replacing all the blood with water, like why wouldn't we just built with water then water plasma? Um. Yeah, good questions. That's where well, I'm just bringing it up so. as a um, as the blood is an electrolyte. So I'm just bringing yeah, that up. Yeah. But yeah, obviously do more research. Just don't go and give yourself an IV of salt water. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. We're talking about the the monatomic gold and uh, in the ocean, and then what I was just screen oh, yeah. sharing there was just like the how much gold legitimately is in like a cubic meter of ocean water and it said there was 650 uh micrograms per cubic meter and i'm that's, so but it's quite a lot of gold in history that's quite a lot it for is. um it you know how like a cubic meter of water is not probably not that much is it it's not that it's not that much uh of like size wise so like that's yeah i'd say the ratios are great yeah. um but i think it has to do with like you know like connecting when i started looking into uh like magnets more which like i want to you know maybe tie into like where do you like explaining your uh your your viewpoints or research on like the ley line system itself and like how how have you have you dug into that the do you have like a a model you go by on like a, a ley line map or a dragon line map uh not really um I I assume it's to do with the waters moving underneath the earth. That's what I would, mm-hmm. because um, just the water moving themselves will create like a, a charge, if you will. Um, but yeah, is there other stuff going on? Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. 
because you can use this like again this idea of um it's called electroculture uh, it's probably you're probably aware of it mm-hmm. um and there's been experiments done on that as well um where you're playing with the charge of the earth um and again you're looking at galvanic processes or those you know, chemical electrochemical reactions happening in the earth. And if you can increase them a little bit to a desired amount, then it um, seems to stimulate growth of plants. And so there's people that have basically put wires above their crops and wires underneath, and they'll have a polarized, polarized the energy of them. Mm-hmm. And um, so you'll have negative ground and then positive up the top, and then you'll increase a basically you're increasing a charge you're increasing a ma- uh, electric field mm-hmm. and the crops grow magnificently you know um so you know this this sort of gets into a whole rabbit hole it's like well if we're in a closed system and energy is like like that um where you have a positive up top and negative down below and you increase the charge then does everything grow better you know, are these really our sort of world ages where there's more energy in the system to some degree or available energy in the mm-hmm. system where mm-hmm. things grow better? I've heard I've um, heard of you know, some old heads out here in California, you know, where they've been they've been doing special types of agriculture like electric uh, electroculture on their crops and like legitimate <laughs> legitimate reaction and, and magnets as well, like magnets playing the same kind of role as electroculture in the, in the soil. And they told me that. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, man, I believe, I believe you. Like, you don't even have to <laughs> explain. I was like, I like it. Like, I was like, it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. to me. It might in- intuitively. I'm like, yeah, you have to plant some more magnets and like, you know, they'll just, I don't know, vibe out on magnet juice. Like it's <laughs> perfect. Uh, I'm wondering about, uh, uh, okay. Megafauna. Like your thoughts on like the dinosaur periods and like these older periods and there being larger life uh, and the procession to get to where we're at. Like, is that, you know, we're like losing some sort of charge? Is that that why extra addition uh, of electrical charge or magnetic pulse to plants make them grow better? Maybe we're further away from our, you know, our magnetic core. Well. The solar system or something um yeah it's a little complicated like it's uh, i've thought through it as, as much as i can but you're always being speculative obviously um yes. and from from what i understand when you look at that electroculture um you know not only do the plants get bigger but you know some things exhibit especially if they're under a different sort of electrical thing <laughs> electrical sort of uh, ion, uh, what do you call it? Ionization, that they actually start to exhibit what would be called ancient or older growth. So there is research, and I think there was like some Russians or something like that did that. Or that's some necromancy but, um, right there, necromantic. But the, I don't know. You're sort of stimulating certain qualities in in the plant by having different um, energetics, which sort of makes sense. You know, almost like. Um, your you know like if you go back to music wise you create a different frequency if you like and all of a sudden you're going to start to exhibit different sort of um you know harmonics that are that appear 
<laughs> so that, that's a fascinating way of thinking about it, you know, correlating it to music. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's – I'm nearly always of the opinion that we're in a closed system, right? It's, it's a perpetual system. So if the, there's no energy coming in or out, in my view, and so what is happening in a sense, how can you have more energy at some periods of time or less energy at some periods of time? Well, it would just be more that um, something is being built, bound up somewhere, you know, held within the earth or, you know, if the earth is acting as a capacitor or something like that. So is there a way of, is there sort of events that happen that actually all of a sudden release some of the energy and get it cranked up again maybe not sure but it sort of seems reasonable that um you know there are large periodicities or periods of time where there's more and less energy in the system um and so what what does that do well it seems like you know to me it's it's pretty much a given that there were giants so you have to feed them somehow, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh I know it's 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 obviously like pure speculation and and beautiful at that and uh you know, looking at it looking at it through an electric universe lens, it just it just it makes so much sense, you know, thinking about things like through through like this electric model. It you know. And I like you all know, the anomalies wonder, in history and everything. I wonder, and I've thought this, like, is there a correspondence like between more uh, electric fields in the system and intelligence, our capacity to think? Does there, does I've there wondered the same thing. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Is it like, we need a, we need a good reason why we're in the world's in the state it's in, you know what I mean? It's, it's gotta be a good reason. You know, we just can't. I was thinking that, that too, in kind of a different way, if we're in a closed system and no energy is getting out or getting in, are we uh, diluting ourselves by having uh, higher populations? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, it's interesting um because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. all that energy has to get spread out more amongst the life yeah i just and and what are we doing by <laughs> drilling into the into the into the world you know dr- drilling into the earth you know are we sort of if that's a um a capacitor if you like what's what's happening when we're you know, doing those sort of thing, punching holes and allowing it to flow. You know, mm-hmm. what happens when we dive into those aquifers and start pulling it out? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you, you're messing with um, internal sort of uh, environments. Know. Yeah, yeah, that are uh, highly. You know, like what about <laughs> fracking? You know, the, that's yeah. just yeah, that's insane. Like the curse of the pharaohs, right? When they the, open the tombs to the pharaohs and mm-hmm. fucking yeah, get yeah. sick and die because they they inhale all those fucking old mm, particles yeah. and shit from that have been enclosed in there for so long and have nowhere to go. Yeah, well, it reminds yeah. me of uh, the pyramids being like <laughs> a, a pressure point system or like an, an acupunctural system for the earth, Yeah, for the earth to release, you know, it's energy. It's like supposed to be a specific 
like points, you know, what interesting too, we were talking earlier, you know, about the ley lines, dragon lines, and you say it's just anywhere where there's water running underneath the ground. And that, that really does check out because, you know, looking at like how dowsing rods worked and like the mystery mm-hmm. of dowsing rods, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that you would be looking for underground waterways as well as magnetic mines. So it would be able to detect uh-huh. underwater underwater caverns you know if it spins in your hand and or magnetic uh the magnetic uh the sorry the the mineral mines and through through a spinning of a wooden dowel and people still do this we're actually talking to a dowser uh next week with wood in boston that's with wood yes right yeah exactly okay with wood that's weird no, no, yeah, the yeah. original dowsing rod, supposedly, I mean, you know, Moses was even said to have a dowsing rod, um, you know, and like, it's kind of like a, a, at one point I could assume, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say the onk was one, you know, but like, you know, that kind of concept, like whenever you see the, you know, the ram's head, you know, on like a cathedral, it's supposed to be said at like the ram's head is like the dowsing rod, like here is water, here is a sacred site. And you know, build. There here. is a um, correspondence, like with what you're saying, and um, mythology. And I've come across it a number of times now, and it's to do with this again, like the that uh, central pillar or the staff, right? And then the staff basically pierces the ground, like Moses hitting the rock. So again, you're hitting mm-hmm. the world navel, and then water comes out of it. Mm. Um, the other one is the. That that's associated with the world navel is the horse. <laughs> and you're like, why, why is a horse? Well, it's equus. It's meaning equality. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of symbolism about the horse. It's just phenomenal how much there is. Um, and when you break down the equus, uh, which is its scientific name is equus cabalis. So it's telling you about this equal wow. cube. <laughs> yeah, the horse wow. is. Um, wow. It, that's supremely esoteric to be honest yeah yeah and you got like um the mayor and like it's all the the names and stuff that are involved in in the horse and stuff like that they're all esoteric it's crazy um and if you break down the name stud stud stallion um i had a list you you're pushing me now um (laughs) yo i got bucked off a horse um uh this probably the second or third time i had ridden <laughs> got on a horse i got bucked off um i was on for a bit and like <laughs> man i wasn't fully like oh man it was nuts it was it's honestly kind of fun pretty exhilarating uh it got it got bucked off after riding for a bit we were going pretty fast faster than i've ever been on any horse ever and i'm like hanging off of the saddle with one foot and dude, it was just like you just feel the pure strength of this animal. Insane. Just so, like Stallion is right, you know, like Mayor, you know, Bucky the horse slayer, dude. Those things are just <laughs> immaculate animals. Truly wonderful. I got kicked off a horse too. Um you did? <laughs> where I grew up, it was like pretty pretty hilly, you know. And um it wasn't my horse, it was my sister's horse. Uh, so I uh, jump on for a ride and then I'm just riding down this steep hill. And then it basically come to the, like, by that stage, I wasn't really in that much control. I was like, oh, fucking just follow it down, you know. <laughs> and then there was a 
right at the bottom of the of the hill there was a um barbed wire fence oh, and it just shit. It, it it sort of trotted down and then just stopped right before it and i i didn't stop oh. i just got went over the top <laughs> and got caught in it so i was like i'll stick to my xr100 thanks oh that is heavy <laughs> When I rev it, it goes. When I put the brake on, it stops. Oh, is uh, riding bikes around Australia pretty fun? I bet motorbike. Yeah, I saw where I grew up. We had like a little um, motorbike track, and yeah, it was like hilly. So you just cruise mm-hmm. around. And mm-hmm. I was out. I was twelve k's out of town. So um, we had also an, an old Corona, like uh, it was a Toyota. <laughs> So I can take that thing for rallies. Yeah, it was good fun. Oh, like a a car, like a cycle. Oh, car, like a like a Suzuki, maybe, or like was it like boxy, kind of like a? Yeah, it was old Toyota. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, we'd go out the back roads and just you know mm-hmm. try and drift and <laughs> try and act like a rally car driver. You know? We did we did a lot of these. Uh, like people were into like winching their suzukis and like other like oh, really yeah. small like rock crawling cars and it was like such a it's such a kind of like niche strange community of uh pretty i mean everybody in there is pretty fun you know but it's like pretty you know hillbilly shit honestly <laughs> but they take their they take these huge tires on these like suzukis and these other like boxy cars and they just got like really powerful winches and they're like you know what i'm gonna strap the winch to the top of that rock cliff and then i'm just gonna drive up the side of this rock cliff for fun i'm gonna do it three times too on saturday he's <laughs> just like sweet let's do it like, you know? <laughs> oh man yeah and also we grew up um grew up like putting sand paddles on like quads and four wheelers and stuff going oh, out really to that places. sort of stuff yeah yeah that was really fun out in sand lake oregon if anybody here is listening uh you know gets a chance to take out to tillamook oregon really fun you got to endure the smell of lots of cow shit um but you know go check out the tillamook ice cream factory uh great beaches and and yeah you can shred on uh what they call the sand bowl they have a Bronco Fest every year too, where everybody brings their really, really nice Ford Broncos out. Hundreds of people just out there, just getting wasted, and yeah, man, just uh, outback country in the Oregon countryside, <laughs> man. <laughs> Sweet. Yep. But uh, so Australia, man, I, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it too much, but it's such a it's a fascinating, fascinating place because I've always wanted to go. Uh, I've never had a chance. And one of my favorite bands of all time is from their King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know those guys? No, straight. Oh, I've heard of them. They're so good. I've listened to a few songs. I've listened to a few songs, but yeah. Yeah, we've had some good Aussie bands here, man. Yeah. Um, You know, I used to listen to Cog and Carnival and Grinspoon. Yeah, they were good back in the day too. Um, even some good hip hop artists and stuff like that. But what's a good Australian yeah. hip hop? Oh, it's mainly into the rock. Uh black. Uh, probably Bliss and Esso was was pretty decent back in the day. Yeah. Was that anyway? Bliss and Esso? Uh, well, I didn't. I you, that that was so thick in that Aussie accent. I actually didn't catch that. What was? It? How do you spell Bliss it? Bliss and Esso. Oh, Bliss, Bliss and Esso. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. I'm like, I'm just gonna um, their old stuff was good. 
Oh, cool. Um, oh, sick. So, yeah, I, just, I grew up in the south coast of New South Wales, so it was, like, um, pretty close to the beach, you know. So we're just probably 40, 40 minute, 45 minute drive. Um, yeah, I was 12 Ks out of town. So just sort of doing my own thing. Most of the time I just like either ride my motorbike or fucking play drums. And yeah, all I wanted to do was be a rock star. So yeah. Hey, it's never too late. Never too late, man. I know that. uh... (laughs) No, it's pretty late now, man. (laughs) What? No. You know, you know a lot about rocks now, don't you? You know, (laughs) hey man and stars. That's, yeah that's shooting for the stars right there and stars. So, so yeah. you're, still, you're a rock star just in a different way yeah yeah that's right. um <laughs> anyway i still i still create music which is which is fun you know it's one of my great passions so and tell us about that man just um out of the journey man I'm, about I, the journey it's an outcome well you know I, I i started trying to be um you know i started my little studio here i got like um drums and recording it and doing the whole bit and after a while i'm like fuck this is too hard this is not working because i'm like doing it on a shoestring and so recently i've like sort of switched gears you know i've just gone reggae dub all that sort of stuff computer music um and drum and bass and and just trying out some different styles and doing it all on the computer and it's like um not having that expectation of trying to be a rock star is fucking fantastic. And I'm, <laughs> I'm close to finishing a, an EP on, and it's going to be more like a reggae dub sort of thing. So nice. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Gonna yes. Be, be good. Glorious. <laughs> so I, I heard that like reggae is like anti-rock. It's like the opposite to rock. So it's like going nah. the opposite way. I don't know. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I listen to uh, white boy reggae and I call it crack rock because a bunch of crackers. But <laughs> I, think, I think it's like a, kind of like a new rock and roll. I don't think it's like not rock. No, nah, I mean, you know, well, it's roots. It's things, even called roots rock reggae. Yeah, think, yeah. Things, yeah, things be changing, you know, I mean, like just like it's inevitable like as a huge analog fan of myself like i was resistant to electronic and computer music in general for so long like even if a band had a keyboard player i was like no yeah. fuck that i was like that's not music it's it music only comes from a three piece or like six piece where three guitar players two bass players and two drummers that's that's that was me being ignorant for so long but it turns out that as i got older in life i like actually became quite obsessed with electronic music um and and yeah it like has definitely a cosmic sound um it's it's just like an ability to tap into a creative flow on a different level that, um, you know, enhance, yes, absolute analog. Analog is there. Analog is, everything's analog, but everything is also digital. Like in that kind of, this kind of model proves yeah, it, yeah. man. Electric Universe proves that everything is analog and digital, co like co-inhabiting to the same space at the same time, depending on what, you know, little mercurial well, i was similar to you like i was like can i got a drum i was a drummer so i was like oh electric drum kit can't have that or you know computerized <laughs> yeah. drums you must yes. yeah, every time you're a computerized drums you must suck at drums so it was like <laughs> well 
you know i'm just like oh well i've tried recording it in my room you know mic set up you know everything's sort of set up and i'm like i can't get it to sound like those studios and mm-hmm. those bastards still use samples <laughs> they're triggering <laughs> their true. drums it's like are you you're serious you're not even doing it really you know and um it's one of those things when you try and record everything yourself and be your own drummer and that it's like you have to be super in time everything has to be quantized to the shit house and you just like it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to try and be a guitarist a bass player a drummer a singer all in one go you know what i mean it's like you're doing the full role of four people and it's um it's a struggle so that's when the computer music come into play and it's like I can just program the drums and they're on time. Perfect. Fucking let's go move on to the next bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, but when it comes to, you know, when it comes to that live feeling, like speaking of King Gizzard and the lizard wizard, they do have two drummers and they do have three guitar players and they have a synth Cheers. and uh, dude, they, they are nuts live like that. That energy that they they put off when they go is like something, yeah, yeah. something else. But that's what I've heard about some of the Australian music scene, like in general, like your guys' music scene on that, you know, it's not an, because you guys are, and you guys are on an island, but you're a continent, uh, you know, it's huge. Like oh, it's a big joint, man. Huge, man. Yeah, we had a massive um, music scene and it was a bunch of different live bands and we basically had a radio station called Triple J. Um, yeah, Triple back in the day, J. that yes. was was really, really good at actually, like they'd have Triple J on Earth and they were actually sorting out new bands and it was basically when I was growing up and that's all we'd listen to was like, ah, you know, Triple J was actually playing the new sort of, rock bands and it was a lot of it was grunge and you know alternate and yeah you would you would find heaps of stuff but now they've gone totally you know well what do you call it woke oh really (laughs) oh they took the npr yeah well it's all government yeah yeah they just like all of a sudden they went from um you know just sort of like it was still government owned but it was still like they they had the runabout it was like yeah you can do whatever you want just um, here's some money to run your radio station. But then it went, yeah, now they've like got all these shit narratives and it become, you know. But that being said, yeah, we had a really good, um, there was a really, really good bunch of bands that sort of cropped up and for that reason. Um, so. Has yeah, Triple J right not been the same since around. 2020? No, no, it's well before that. It oh, sort yeah. of started dying out, like because because it has been a progression, like like we've been saying with the with the computer music and that. As the computer music come into play, it's just easier for you know artists to be more like DJs and and that sort of thing. Anyway, rather than live bands, it's a it's a lot of work, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, with I mean now we're just we're now we're just deep down a music rabbit hole at this point but um yeah like just, yeah, sorry just about looking, the, sorry about the electric stuff that's gone yeah. I, I was just gonna yeah. say like with the with the midi plugins and everything that's out there right now it's insane like how you can just literally get any just midi board whatever and press a key and have your entire core progression planned out for you it's like it's insane. Like the amount of music theory and time and practice you have to sit to actually come up with your own chord progression. And then now you're eight, you can just 
you can just get a mini board and then press the button and the kids make like trap beats in two seconds. You're just like, damn you, damn you. All right. Like (laughs) I've been trying to study music theory and it's been blowing my mind. And like, so anyways, man, but uh, what were you going to say, Dan? I'm sorry. I'm going to shut up now. Nothing, man. If you want to take it back to the esoteric, um, I've been getting into, especially if you look at that cube stuff, um, what I was talking about earlier and the 27 and things like that, there's like Mm -hmm. this direct Mm -hmm. relationship to music. And I've been um, talking with George uh, Mezza. He was doing a, uh, he'd done a show with Chance on the universe there. And it was like doing some music stuff. I'm like, oh, I got to talk to that guy. So we can start because mm-hmm. there is a relationship between geometry and um, music. Mm. And so I've been like learning this like musical theory and I was like tripping me out. It's like um, because there's correlations between frequency um, and color and all those sort of things you can start to do with it. And it's just, it's been blowing my mind. But one of the m- most amazing things was, was this idea of perfect fifths. Now, I think it was Pythagoras or something, and he yes. basically had, what was it, like a range of perfect fifths where you'd follow them all the way up. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> when you do that, uh, the ratio between a normal sort of octave and that perfect fifths octave is slightly out. Like it, because of the ratios, it means it's... L- it's more than a circle in a sense. It's um, one's one's pi and one's a little bit longer than pi. And that how much it's longer is actually related to, it's like 365 days. And you're like, so the perfect fifths are related to the movement of the sun. It's um, <laughs> pretty crazy. And I, I love that the perfect fifth of G is D. And so, like, it just spells when they go around, if it is an orbit, right, like that 365, and you start at the key of G, the, the perfect fifth is D. So you just spell God in that shape. It's from G to D. And then what's the perfect fifth of C but G? So you start in the middle C. The, the, the middle tone is middle C. The perfect fifth of that is G. And then, which is like C could be central or it's the middle C, whatever it's a electrolytic solution, what have you. And then you go to G and then from that you go to D. So you just spell out, you know, it's just, it's Pythagoras was so deep next level with creating music theory that it is so mind melting. The amount of like, always stole it. You think he stole it? Pythagoras probably. I mean, we don't even know if Pythagoras was actually real. You know, he might might legitimately be, yeah, a character or some sort of surname. You know, I mean, it's getting into that. But geez, sorry, face melting. What I've been doing is, uh, I'll I'll bring it up so we can see it. Um, Pity for everyone else, but in in part of the sort of Trinity idea, you have. three things that come out of it and it's it's to do with the trinity but what they are uh how numbers relate to each other or how you create means um basically you have um the geometric mean the harmonic mean and um arithmetic or arithmetic mean 
Okay, there's three different means, and these have been sort of personified as um, the three pillars, the three, you know, the the Corinth, Corinthian, um, Doric, and Ionic. Um, so there's these three different types of means, and this is to do with how you actually um, find musical scales. Now, what's interesting is this: when you say um, have the arithmetic mean you'll get a three over two which has a relationship from c um you will actually get the 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 note g and then you'll have the harmonic mean and you'll get this four over three so the opposite sort of thing um and you'll get an f chord now the middle chord the the central chord between the f and the g and this and the having the root as the C is a geometric mean and it's called a tritone. Interestingly enough, so it's it's tritone or tritone is related to the staff, is related to three. Um, and you know, there's there's geometric numbers that are related to this as well. Uh, the tritone, uh, if you look at it as a geometric mean, is related to 0.888. Oh, nice. So it's a triple eight. Yeah. Now the triple eight, when you go into the Greek gematria for uh, Jesus' name, is actually triple eight. So it is a personification of the Trinity. Um, there's so much more to this uh, that is just fascinating. Even if you break it down into the fasting calendar with the three seasons mm -hmm. um, and those three harmonics and they're sort of related to three um uh women i guess uh that mm -hmm. are personifications of the three seasons mm -hmm. and they will be dancing around apollo um that singular post um so the other thing that i've done uh, which i find really really fascinating is apply the um uh, it's a septenary cipher and so when you have the alphabet um, laid out in this particular way, it's actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And that will be half the alphabet. And then you do it, repeat that same movement. Um, it actually has a correspondence to the notes on a, um, on a keyboard, on a, mm -hmm. on a piano. And I will tell you the scale because there's 13 sort of notes and on the 13th, you'll get to the next octave. So between the octaves that our alphabet and that um, cipher actually fits in, which is really fascinating as well. And so the um, geometric mean, so the one that, that uh, mean that sits between the G and the F, which are the other types of means, is a F sharp. Now the F sharp actually lands on the uh, on the seven with the uh, septenary cipher, and the seven is like that rest point, and has a lot to do with the um, again that uh, the idea of the central point in the Polaris with the seven um, seven stars of Ursa Minor, as well as you'll see in the um, again the masonic drawing boards and things the seven stars or the eye of providence and those mm. sort of correspondences mm -hmm. <clears throat> so 
um, there is a musical component to the septenary cipher and also our English language, which I just find extremely fascinating, you know. Um, and those three, if people want to look it up, those three sort of um, personifications of the means are the, the Horai. So uh, H-O-R-A-I or H-O-R-A-E. Now, what's interesting about them to get back to the, it's one letter, you change an A out of it and it's horse. So again, we're, we're moving back to um, this idea that these, these three um, basically um, personified as girdling the horses because the horses are the seasons, you know, the four horsemen or whatever, they're the seasons. And this goes back to what's known as the threshing floor. The threshing floor is how in the olden days they used to, um, what they would do is they'd lay the grain out in a circular fashion and they'd have a pole in the center of it and they'd tie the horses to it and the horses or the, or the oxes would walk around in a circle um, led by a man behind it and it would crush the stalks of the, the corn or, or grain or whatever, the wheat, okay? And as they were doing that, all the wheat would fall out onto the floor. So this, this process of the threshing floor was analogous to the central pole of our world and the horses moving around become the hours because if you take the, the vowels out of horse, you get hours. <laughs> so they were the mm. seasons, the hours. Mm -hmm. Now, the, thresh, the threshing floor is a circular, uh, circular floor with a post in the center. Mm. Now, what that is is essentially a sundial. So you could use the threshing floor to see where you were within the year. And so this is why they have so many associations with the gomen, the gnomon in the center, um, that, that pole, that singular pole that tells you the time, mm -hmm. <laughs> tells you the seasons, tells you the hours of the day, and, that's, and has a relationship to the ox moving around in a circle, the stars moving around in a circle, the, the horses moving around in a circle. So that's where a lot of it's coming from. Like that, a carousel. That <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's what it is. Carousel. The, yeah, you know, it's thing. funny. The uh, Walt Disney, when he built his Disneyland, um, like, because LA apparently is on the 33rd parallel. Um, and that, you know, that lines up to to Giza and whatnot, but he knew um, that it, Disneyland was like on this special piece of property that had like some sort of really joyous energy that was exclaimed. And he said that when you walk through the front gates and you go to the carousel, the carousel was supposed to be like almost like the central pole and the central place of Disneyland and it would spin around. And he said that it would like shoot out the energy all around the happiest place on earth, all around Disneyland. Oh, yeah. So shot out from yeah. that. So that's kind of what I, I got visualized when you brought that up. Um, yeah, that's, that's, well, that's what these, that's what all these buildings, like these ancient architectures and things are, like the, the good ones, they're like in, they're replicating that idea that um, Zion, 
Jerusalem. You got a million different words for this, you know, the the Garden of Eden, whatever. It's, it's replicating that central pole, that central place, and um, you know, that's the way your civilization revolves around. And um, you know, it's, it's, there's so much built into it, even in sense of law and all that. I mean, the the rabbit hole is so big, so deep. You know, even the horse has has a um, correspondence to the white and the black stone, which we use for weights and measures as well as for voting. Um, oh, and the piano. So you're just going to, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. How do you say keys? this? Yeah. Do you guys know how you say this? Scion. Uh, it's with Scion. So Scion, it just reminds me of Zion. But apparently this town is yeah, claimed to same. be the first ever built um, organ. Like this is the oldest pipe organ basilica uh, is in is here. And I was like, huh, that is interesting because I was trying to correlate, you know, like talking about music theory, um, you know, and, and setting up this like perfect, almost celestial symbolism or cosmic symbolism that Pythagoras was putting behind these numbers you know of the 12 musical steps and like look how and then robert flood puts the 12 musical steps to the 12 zodiacs and that's the planet of the spheres or the music of the spheres um you know yeah. but like the white and black keys also like maybe almost representative of like some sort of tracing board you know just that dichotomy that mm-hmm. that could be gridded out um and you know, talking about the resonance or the tritone and the triptych, three pillars. Like it's it's just interesting when looking at it from like a music. Once you get the symbology, like yeah. it, it really just draws everything in. And this is what I was sort of getting at: is that there was a universal science, and if you understood where the origins of these sort of first symbolism come, then it's just like duh, 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 everything just falls over <laughs> like a like a freaking dominoes you know and it's like yeah i'm i'm just like struggling to to correlate it all and the geometry is is phenomenal as well and i've said long said that the names of the gods are not you know they are born out of the mathematics of the geometry so well, like that's that's where machine. these names come from well, a, a lot of these stories, um, even biblical and things like that, are actually stories on how to produce a geometric. Um, it's it's like a, a riddle. It's a geometric riddle. If you know the fishes, which is the vesica Pisces, if you know the bread and what that looks like and all these sorts of different things, and you know that you're starting with um, Jesus, which is a certain value or whatever it is, then you're going to produce a certain geometric outcome. You know, there's so, and a lot of the gods, yeah. Well, they're just it's just basic. At the end of it, it's it's teaching you about basic geometry, but geometry shows, um, you know, really does show the um, lead you back to the infinite, to the unity, obviously, because out of put it this way, you have a circle then it mirrors itself and then those two circles overlap you create the vesica out of the vesica every all the mathematics comes 
everything comes out of that physica, all the mathematics. And that's where the Jesus figure, that unity figure is logos figure. Mercury is depicted coming out of the vesica because that's where you get the square root of five, square root of two. Uh, you get the the phi, uh, you know, all those sort of mathematical principles that are in us and, you know, uh, all throughout nature, uh, the, the very foundations of our world are built through these this vesica. Um, all the architecture it wouldn't be nothing because mathematics is produced from that vesica, from that womb. So um, that's what they're sort of leaning back to, like these these very simple ideas lean back to very, you know, complex and, and beautiful sort of uh, understandings. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a one, it's a unified source of information at the end of the day. And that's what I sort of hope to point out to people, you know what I mean? When I do these talks or whatever, I hope to point out that it's unified. We're unified in the, the world is unified. It's just you know, people don't recognize it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, all that shade being thrown. Yeah, yeah. Well, if we just got back to the quadrivium and the trivium and, and those sort of understandings and started to preach a bit more about about the unity, I think we'd uh, be well on our way to, to you know, and understanding where we live as well as, you know, um, utilising stuff like the Geet engine where you got the plasmas and things like that. I mean, it would be fucking killing it, man. Oh, oh, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. So getting all these codes to make the geometric shapes. Okay. That's like casting a portal, casting like some sort of magical spell to open up, you know, like, like if you set these, if you set this frequency and in, in tone pointed at this general direction, uh, you know, then you'll blast this you'll blast the portal into another dimension or something because when you read these old texts man they were so cryptic um and i get like you know we're talking about things from hundreds of years ago um but you know they're they're cryptic for a reason and it's like i don't know man it's just it's it's so beautiful and and deep but i will say actually really quick on, on this note uh vitruvius who wrote the 10 books of architecture, um, who was like the, the Greek, you know, like architecture God, he was, he was the shit. Um, he, he was talking about the, uh, Oh, Dan, you out of here, sir. Yes, sir. You guys carry on though. Nice to meet you, mate. Bounce. Nice to meet you too, Lucas. We'll have this. I want to talk about the fucking horses, dude. I really do. Okay. Uh, I've been putting together some work on uh, the tribe of Dan and one of their flags is a horse. No, no. So it's, uh, it coincides really interesting. And also the maritime, they're the mariners. Yeah. So the, it co coincides to the sun and the moon and the maritime lawn, all that yep. stuff. And uh, uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, yeah, hit me up, mate. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you what I got. Yeah, for sure, man. You guys have a good one. Thanks, Cheers. Fire Tribe. Danunaki out. <laughs> <laughs> Peace, man. Um, okay, I, I kind of completely forgot where I was. I'm sorry. I read that message and I was like, oi. Um, yeah.
we'll probably wrap it up soon in a sec anyway yes yes absolutely anyways man oh no i absolutely remember okay let me get back at it let me get back at uh, it. Let's, it let's do it okay so when vitruvius is writing his book on like, basically it's like a pamphlet on you know it would be the book that architects would read later you know and, and arc being an architect um an antiquity was an incredibly high initiatory job like you had to be equipped in in, in so much high schooling right like you had you had to know mathematics you had to know music you had to know all these all these sacred arts but what what i'm getting at in his book what i thought was really interesting was he was talking about the bastilles and the scorpions like these these weapons that they had like in catapults and um you know, he didn't reference cannons, obviously, but <clears throat> and speaking on looking at it from an antiqua tech type of point of view, you know, uh, is that he would talk about tuning these instruments or not tuning these weapons as instruments to make sure the strings rang a certain frequency. That's when you knew that they were tight enough to you know, shoot, shoot its, its weapon or what have you. But, you know, then there's a lot of that esoteric kind of mumbo jumbo about the, the horns of Jericho and then being like this, like vibrational um, frequency being put. And that was able to crumble the buildings through the, the sound, through the horns, through that, you know, that surround, they made that certain cymatic shape or that geometric shape. And, you know, I was joking around saying like blasting, you know, make, get the cosmic code, get the, get, get all the, uh, get all the frequency measures. <laughs> yeah, and, you got a weapon. A, and you blast a portal. But, but when you look at it, they're talking, they're talking about the, you know, destroying a building and which that was a transition of time when the, the walls of Jericho fell, it was a trend, you know, so it was almost like a portal to a new yeah. time. And I don't know, man, what, what's your opinion on, on, on like that, that aspect of, of things in history. Well, anything out of the Bible is basically, it seems to be um, not really, not historic whatsoever. It's just sort of, it's all astrotheology in a sense to me. Mm -hmm. And not only that, it seems to have been, well, created, let's put it that way. Um, and sort of certain things left out. So it's not something that I, while I, I sort of, understand that it's there but it's not really something that i find um, very attractive mm -hmm. for those reasons mm -hmm. um all i can say when it comes to sort of like our past is like uh, you know i've just watched those mud flood videos and stuff like that where they're like why is this building you know like <laughs> you know 20 foot underground it's like shit i don't you know what happened it's like you got a whole city that's you know where the, the whole of the blocks are mm -hmm. under mud and it's like well that's what we see and do we know how that happened what what happened it's like not really but mm -hmm. something happened you can't have whole and, and there's you know um other guys have pointed out you know they've even got um these sidewalks where they were utilizing these underground um you know, where they'd been mud flooded and they'd got the sidewalks and they'd just basically got these prism lights and they got like 
the light would come in from the outside and then shine into these prisms, <laughs> turn um, sort of 90 degrees, so it would light up underneath these um, these these buildings that have been sort of covered over. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, so they're just like you would never build like that, ever. It just seems ridiculous. Why would you build underground? <laughs> it's too much work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why would you put bricks underground that seep water through it? You know, it just none of it makes sense. So whatever happened, happened on a pretty large scale. And I think I, I'm on the general opinion, and it's obviously it can be changed. But I, I think, you know, two, 300 years ago, whatever it was, However long, some major cataclysm happened where um, any of that old knowledge is basically lost and it seems like there was a world beforehand that was, like you say, uh, totally adept in in building, knew all this information that I'm bringing about, a little bit of, you know, I'm only chatting the surface of it. Yeah. But they basically like had a whole schooling system of it. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, this is how it is you know (laughs) and then what we get what we get are like uh either hand-me-downs people's recollections or um or just straight up the people who wanted power said fuck it let's not replicate whatever they did last time or whatever you know or burnt the books or all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff so Mm -hmm. nearly all the history just seems to be a, a fabrication to actually hide the science uh, hide that understanding and and i don't necessarily understand why it is it's maybe just to maintain control who knows probably <laughs> yeah uh i i actually just saw a video the other day somebody posted in the telegram chat of um of a mud flood happening um in a town and it was just a a flood of mud coming through and, and people's cars all the way to the top of people's cars. It was basically about, about five, five and a half feet of mud that just came and wiped out of town. And I was like, yeah. wow, well, it's funny because like you do see all this stuff on the, on the internet, you know, like we're coming out for the past five years, heavy, um, the Tartarian mud flood stuff. And, you know, we've only been speculating, you know, people have been talking about like places being covered in mud, but now you actually see it. Um, and I have to send you the video because I saved it because I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. Seeing it in action was kind of crazy. And um, I didn't actually look up anything deeper, whether or not like they, they said it was liquefaction that caused it or what actually yeah, caused yeah. it um, or dam breaking or something like that. But yeah, who, who knows? Like we've been talking to a lot of people uh, this month, you know, and and the, like people that have had a, like claim to have experiences like ufo experiences or claim to be abducted onto the ship uh, which i don't like that that word but you know I, lack of a better term in the moment uh abducted and being brought to the ship um you know they get told like some <laughs> otherworldly <laughs> information on on how long uh you know these uh there are cycles that are and that it's not it's Sometimes lines up to the, the, the procession, you know, like we were talking about, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. other ones are like saying that it's every just couple hundred years, there is a CME that comes around and kind of just shuts down any sort of 
technological advancements, you know, and so it's just been like this cycle of humans working around being shut down from their, like whether or not it was like some antique tech of another time, you know, and it's all, it's, it's, it's I don't hard, know, like you know? I've thought about the idea that like, you know, they're just, you know, humans were seeing how far they could dig into the earth and it mm-hmm. disrupted something, you know, the bell rock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. something like that or you know or whatever it is maybe they were harnessing energy from the atmosphere and drew too much and it screwed the system a bit i don't know because there's so many possibilities all you can say is like why are these buildings underneath the ground what they are and why are they <laughs> built so well and why is like there's pictures that is like old man in fucking all you've got is like old men in top hats and then a couple of horses and carts and you're like you didn't build that how are you going to build it with a horse and a cart <laughs> you can't even log one you know a few of those bricks around you know and and most of the bricks you know like when you get into it it's it's pretty clear that most things were geopolymer um you know they they knew how to harden stone crystallized things um so yeah i think I think that was the basic principle. You'd basically create like molds and, you know, it's like, cause some of those, even the, um, Oh, what is it? The, um, the stone statues where they, they're all granite and you're like, Oh, the obelisk. Not, just, they're not, no, just like a stone statue. And they're not, and some of them have like a net over their face or a, holding a, a legit sort of uh, net. And you're like, uh, why would the art you, firstly it's near perfection the way that it's created and then it's like how long did it take if you're going to sit there and chisel away with it and then in some of it like even with the way that the hair's done and things like that it's like how do you even get the chisel in there to chisel around underneath that sort of hair curl or mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. it is you know what i mean it's like um and you just and then you think about it you think about molds and you go oh that's easy you just create a pasta of Paris mold and then pour your, you know, stone in there and it hardens and then you've got a perfect sort of figure. Yeah. You know, just yeah, picture you, the stunning dude in the, super... in the market or, or the stunning <laughs> woman and you say, come here and just stand like this for a bit while we plaster in Paris you, you know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be like come here for the next six months and stand in the same exact position while <laughs> yeah. I slowly cast this statue of you. <laughs> yeah. that's funny yeah geopolymer uh is is really great interesting uh thing to look into if anybody listening is interested in um the ancient archaeology or ancient architecture because there's a lot of really cool breakthroughs that have happened with with geopolymers and and looking at history with that and and um it really makes sense you know, it does. It, and we know that masonry itself, you know, holds the secrets to like the perfect blend of, of how to make bricks, how to make stone. Like, what are we going to, and then later we find that the red bricks themselves, like I remember I was, I was laughing out loud, rolling on the floor when I saw this um, article that they said that red bricks from certain red brick buildings built in between the uh, the 18th century and the 20th century, like the constituents of that brick could be plugged with a hot wire and a ground wire 
and it they it would have an electrical charge like it was just it was working as a battery yeah itself. that's so i haven't looked in that sort of i haven't looked at it that that much but yeah there is that sort of potential isn't there to mm-hmm. act as a capacitor yeah which is yeah that's just that's a whole another level isn't it that's <laughs> like and that's whole buildings holding it, the charge right no, exactly like, wow yeah. and that that looking at like that with like through the geopolymer lens it's like okay now we're starting to now we're cooking with gas a little bit, you know, it's, um, it makes sense to have so, like air moving through these vents and things like that. Like that vent ventilation system makes a little bit more sense when it's working through the conductive materials. Yeah. Yeah. I'll look, I've gone down like the, you know, how are they actually creating energy? Are they sort of, are these buildings pulling energy in that sort of a sense? And it's just like, it's really tough because it is. Because, like I said earlier, um, when you're looking at the the potential voltage, like there's there's a lot of potential voltage in the air, but there's not a lot of energy there. You have to, it's you know, it's it's very hard to collect it unless you have something that's really really drawing it or something like that. Or or the only other thing I see like is of like mercury. if you. Or the other thing I was thinking <laughs> of was uh, like if you were able to tap into lightning. And that was like, oh, oh that'd be easy. Like if you had a massive building like capacitor, which I've seen buildings, I'm like, that looks like a capacitor. Now, if you're able to get a, a lightning rod on the top of it and it's able to actually pull in and hold that charge, boom. Easy. Boom. Oh, Just wait for the next storm and then uh yeah. <laughs> charge your house. This right here is a blueprint of like of an old Hindu temple and like when they would draw it out. And like you were saying earlier, how like the flower of life, like when you overlap it, overlap it, mm-hmm. it makes that cube. And you see like the floor plan here of like the old temples and it's, there it is. There's your flower on the base yeah. of the floor plan yep. as, as it extends out. And that's, and then, but that's exactly what this looks like. This looks like some sort of capacitor right here. With the trident up top. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's like the symbology and the mechanics of it are sort of all in one. This is like, that's that's why I sort of keep running back to this unified science where, you know, electrochemistry and all these sort of things start to fit together and you have a better understanding. I just think we're at a pretty low sort of, you know, level of understanding these days. Yeah, yeah. Oi. Well, okay. Uh, we've went, we've went all, all around, all around the clock today, all around the, the wheels, man. It's been a great, great chat. Um, is there any, any final, uh, any final messages you want to get off to the fire tribe and, uh, and you know, any, any final plugs you want to get in, man, any, any projects you got coming up? Um, and, and maybe, oh, no, maybe the music, really. man. No. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, people can come over to my channel on Telegram. Um, you could probably leave a link or something like that for that. Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. I've got yeah, well. my YouTube channel, which is uh, um, LC King. You can go and check that out if you're interested in the uh, the world model based on a battery. Um, but yes. yeah, I'm pretty poor at this self promotion thing. It's, I just sort of tinker away in the background, you know. <laughs> Eventually, I'll come up with a. Uh, I'm hoping to do a book and a few different things, you know, takes time. 
Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And there's no no need to rush it, honestly. You know, when it comes, it comes. No. It's awesome when it does, you know. I mean, like the the best work. Um like uh those like Edward Leedscallon. Do you ever you know that guy, the Coral Castle guy? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. He he wrote like I mean, super interesting character, you know, the he's known as the Coral Castle guy. And uh yeah. Levitating Stones, yeah. Yes, exactly. And he wrote these two books. That's it. Uh on on magnetism and it was like his life's work and it was just like you know there are some incredibly great pieces of work that hold like true true gnosis and he didn't rush on him just came out when it came out man and you know what where's he at <laughs> oh no maybe he maybe he got so into magnets that his his body is just like preserved in like a magnet sheath uh-huh. somewhere in the ground <laughs> Uh, a lead case (laughs) coffin (laughs) oh beautiful well yeah i'll post all this stuff in the show notes uh everybody you know go check it out if you haven't already uh and yeah Yeah. brother until next time cheers man thank you cheers